0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today at First Christian Church. Uh, welcome to everybody here in the West Auditorium. To those who are in the East, we're very glad you're here as well. And to our friends in Lovington, I'm glad you're worshiping with us as well today. And I invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 uh, Peter chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with Scripture, it's about this far through the Bible, um, almost toward the end. And while you're turning there, let me introduce myself to our guest. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm very glad you're with us. If you need to know about how to find 1 Peter chapter 2 um, on the screen, there'll be some page numbers, and that's for those here in Decatur. Uh, You'll see a page number there, and uh, if you're in the Livingston Church, you are aware there are two versions of the scriptures in your purex, and um, one's for the large print, one's for the regular print, and you can choose which one you want to use, all right? We're going to read from that in a few moments, and so I want you to get ready for that. Our... um, our, we have, Leslie and I are privileged to have three grandbabies. Uh, they're all, they were all born at about the same time. Coming up now, one, our granddaughter just turned two and the twin boys are about to turn two. And so uh, with them all being at the two-year-old mark, that means that, well, their stuff has overtaken our house. And they don't even live with us, by any means. Um, our family room used to be, I would say, a haven for adults. That's not the case anymore. Uh, they, they, actually, this is what the room looks like. I, t- I snapped a shot the other day just to... If you, that was where I, I used to sit there, uh, but not anymore. And the white box on the left-hand side is full of toys. And they, they just, just kind of they grow exponentially. Part of one of their favorite toys is this thing right here. Uh, as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time on the floor with these babies. And you know how this goes? Have you ever played this game? You build up and what do they do? Their job is to just knock it down. That seems like and they And they approach their job with great zeal. Have you noticed <laughs> it? Have you ever done this? That these are, these, all three of them are not children that say, well, we'll only do things half-hearted. And so we have this. I should back up. All right? so the camera can catch it all. For those in the east, and, and can you take the light just a little bit higher? There you go. It's all there. And what do they do? You can imagine, right? Okay, pops, do it again. It's like, that goes on and on and on like that, right? And so um, you're going, Pastor, what's that got to do? That's got nothing to do with Scripture. Well, let me, why I brought these today was because we are trying to figure out what it means to be a congregation that is developing a firm foundation always, that we're developing building blocks within our life together that people can't tear down, that will be sustainable for a long period of time. And what, what are those building blocks that are needed to be a church that's going to go beyond just the, the, the immediate? I mean, it's because anybody can do this with, with cardboard. These are cardboard boxes and just tear them down, right? But what does it take to say we're going to build, we're going to use blocks in the life of our church that are going to be solid for generations to come? After all, we, if we're our, a solid church, we'd have to say that we desire to have some congregational life together that will lead future generations to carry on our ministry and, more importantly, just not just our ministry, but most importantly, the message of Jesus Christ. And we're striving uh, to live out a statement that Paul the Apostle wrote to his one of his congregations at Philippi. He said, This, whatever happens, this is the responsibility they have, whatever happens, lots of stuff can happen in life, but whatever happens. Conduct yourselves, he's writing to a church, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live life in a way that is appropriate at all times. And the goal of this series that we're looking at this month is to um, manage our congregational life together in such a way that it builds to a future of many years of doing this, that, and the other while honoring Jesus Christ. And the Bible has many bullet points of what the various blocks might need to be when it comes to building a church. And there are all sorts of issues in play always. You've got things like discipleship and We'll learn more about that next week. You've got things like evangelism and spirituality. You've got things like mission. Where how are we doing with missionaries overseas, or what are we doing within our own local community? Jumpstart yesterday, 360 families and multiple children. All those families, and you know, well, more than 500, maybe close to 600 kids that got free physicals to get them back to school. And you know, just in the optometry area alone, we had 75 kids who needed eye exams based on where they are in their life and everything, one guy, one, of, one optometrist from our church did 75 eye exams yesterday. He was a wee bit tired when he went home, just a bit. And um, we, we learned, w- w- we're sending those kids in the mail free of charge, 20, we, 20 of them needed glasses, and so they're gonna get glasses in the mail this week. Can you imagine? Or oh, we learned yesterday, of all the exams, of all the kids we did, we've discovered two that need some more further up with, some, with a cardiologist. That's how concerning, a couple years ago we did that and discovered a little boy that needed an immediate attention. So it's great stuff that we do all that. The list of what the scriptures call us to do to reach into people's lives goes on and on. But there's one aspect of building a a congregation's foundation that's the most important. And that is this, that a healthy church, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, a healthy church building for the future, has to always place a first priority on worship. Start with worship. The scriptures call us to worship God first. Start there before you add anything else. In any congregation, that's planning for the future has to evaluate its worship practices and adapt and so forth and so on, but it must always be consistent with our understanding that this happens in worship, that when we are in worship, God's presence is among us and we get to interact with God and we get to tell God god you're really great you built the earth you built the cosmos you built us you gave us jesus christ thank you and so let me ask this question for our congregation meeting if you will in three locations today for our congregation what's the shape of our worship are we in a good spot are we is our worship reflecting god's work among us is our worship causing us to continue to grow in our relationship with christ and Are we building up the church in ways that are right and true, in ways that glorify God? Let's see what Peter has to say about this. If you'll read with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read this. Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then would you read out loud with me verses four and five? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when you read that, you've got the two passages that we the two portions if you will first of all the first couple of verses which are obviously constrictions regarding behavior peter is saying you know you you got to move away from hypocrisy and deceit and slander he's basically saying grow up stop doing that and then he says well then you've got some ongoing responsibilities you are being built there's an ongoing project let's back up what what's going on there well, this business of stopping hypocrisy or slander or envy, it's not where, say, it's not where this is where we're just going kind to of, kind of taper off on this over the next couple years. So I've come to know Christ, and by the time I get to heaven, I will have probably, I brought the level of my hypocrisy or the level of my slander down to almost zero. No, that doesn't cut it. Peter doesn't say just kind of ease up on the envy business, doesn't ease up on the hypocrisy and the deceit. No, he says, stop it, stop it now. Rid yourself. It's an imperative. That behavior should be over and done. The finish line on that should be done as as you come to know Jesus Christ. But then, going beyond that, the being built business is a project that has neither a finish line, specifically, nor a specific timeline. There's no end to the matter of being ongoing being built. Being built is a long-term project. And by the way, did you notice that as we are being built into this spiritual house, as we're under construction, there's a purpose of the house that what Peter's saying is that just Jesus followers are pardon me, Jesus followers are being built into a spiritual house with an express intent. We are being built in order to become, this ongoing project is, project is that we are to become a holy priesthood with an intentional job description. We are to worship God. Look back again, verse 5. Can you see it in verse 5? You, like stones, living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's what we, we're, this is a, the project that's ongoing. To do what? To be a holy priesthood Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Well, so you go and say, Well, you know, okay, but Pastor, I'm not a priest. And, and being a priest these days, you got to go through seminary, you got to get ordination, and all this, all that sort of stuff. And can you be in a, in a Protestant church? Can you be a priest? Oh, let's, I'm a, I acknowledge that those are legitimate questions. But can I remind you what happened in, a, in the biblical days in the ancient world when it came to being priests? In the ancient world, The priestly duties that the Bible talks about were were assigned to one of 12 tribes. The nation had 12 tribes, you could call it 12 states, and one group, one family group was responsible for all priestly priestly duties, if you will. And within that family, they had a lot of things that they had to do. They had to do the administration of the people and the finances. They had to manage the care of the animals because they owned a lot of animals and they were going to sacrifice a lot of animals. There was the maintenance of the temple building itself along with synagogues throughout the country. There was the employee hierarchy, if you will, and you come in young and you make your way up over time. and All of that, all of that stuff led to developing sacrifices that were pleasing to God. All of it was based on how are we going to help our nation be a nation of worship? Maybe... Your job description was that you were responsible, perhaps in Jerusalem, to make certain that the stones on the outside of the temple were kept clean. That was your job. If you had a job description, it would say something about keeping the stones clean. But I would suspect, in our day and time, if we would do it, there would be a paragraph at the beginning of the job description that would read something like this. The primary responsibility of the person filling this role, keeping the stones clean, taking care of the animals, managing the finances, whatever. The primary responsibility of the person filling this role is the support and maintenance of our nation's worship to God. All other duties related to this job point to that endeavor. And apparently, like the ancient priests of Israel, you and I are a holy priesthood and we are responsible for offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Look again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, says this. You are being built, there's that ongoing project, you are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Doing what? Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter mentions this again, this whole business of priesthood and worshiping God. He mentions it again later in the chapter. Look with me in verse 9. He starts by telling us who we are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There we are again a holy nation, God's special possession. That's who we are, chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, special possession. For what reason? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is you and me, friends. This is God's special possession, purchased by Jesus' death on the cross, a possession to do what? To declare the praises of God Almighty. And if we're to be a healthy church, A healthy church will plan for future by focusing its energy and its passion on worship. That's where we we go. We say, we're going to start with how we worship God. We do other things, as we've mentioned previously in the past. We change and shift. We learn and grow. We evangelize. We plan for future generations. Fair enough. We do all that with intensity, but we start by praising God. That's one reason, if not the primary reason, why we started the Worship Arts Academy a number of years ago. We want people, young and old, to grow in their ability to praise God and to take the gifts and talents that they have, and maybe they need to be developed, and so we have classes that people can learn to play the guitar more effectively, or learn to play the drums, learn to sing, learn to take their ability to make things with their hands and and create tapestries or whatever. You know, if you look over by the East Auditorium on, on the wall there, uh, right outside the door, those in the East, there's this um, cross that's made out of stained art, stained glass, and kids learning how to do sta- stained glass and so that they can use their arts to do what? To glorify God. I want you to note on the card you got coming into worship here in Decatur this week, Note the upcoming Explore the Arts event scheduled for, for August 5th. It's a Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. where young and old are invited. Come and learn about how your worship can grow through just, I'm going to be a better singer. I'm going to be a better, we even have a dance studio upstairs where if you feel, say, I, I, I would like to figure out how to dance before the Lord. We'd like to teach you that. Because if this is our job, if this is our responsibility, then we want to do it very well, don't we? So join us. August 25th, and maybe you can learn some more details about that. And as we do our job more effectively, what happens? What occurs when we worship God? Well, we declare his praises, but one really cool thing happens as well, and that is that we get engaged in spiritual warfare. See, friends, when we worship God, when we proclaim his goodness, when we proclaim that he's called us out of darkness into his glorious light, we engage our enemy, Satan. Our worship is a tool of offense in the battle of the heavens. You go, what? You believe in Satan? Yeah, I do. You believe that's a war going on? Yeah, I do. This is what the scripture states. Ephesians chapter six, our struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Ephesians chapter six, this is it. Our struggle is not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me read it to you one more time. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about you and me or battling with people. That may take place but in the long run that's not where the struggle is. Our struggle is instead against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Apparently we're at war. And friends, when we use our lips, when we use our words of worship, it has an impact upon the forces of evil in the heavens above us. Really? Yeah. You know, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible that talks about how things are going to be in the future, there's an indication that how we use our language has an impact upon this. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, This is the one, this is the evil one, who accuses, um, he goes to God, basically says, did you see what Jeff was doing? Did you see what Sarah was doing? And they call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Can I remind you, God, of who they really are, what they're really like? And this accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. This is a future event, yeah? And how did How did that occur? Well, they, the brothers and sisters, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Notice, there's a day coming when Satan is hurled down, evil is defeated, and the one who accuses us of sin before God, the one who reminds you of everything you've ever done wrong, that guy, the one who introduced evil into humanity's existence, the one who belittles you at every moment's notice, that one is defeated. And Satan is defeated by the blood of Jesus Christ And then, by how we praise God. Our testimony is a statement of what the blood of Christ has done for us. Our testimony is a statement of God's goodness. It's made up of the words we declare that we have received mercy through the gift of Jesus Christ. God's graceful compassion offered Jesus' blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And we are now called out of darkness into God's wonderful and glorious light. Whoa, what does all that mean? That's crazy, isn't it? Well, there, there's a story in Scripture that shows why worship in this matter is so important in defeating evil. It circles around, the story is centers around Jesus and his encounter with the devil. It's out of the very early days of Jesus' ministry. Here's how it goes if you're unfamiliar with it. Just as Jesus was about to step into the public sphere, into the spotlight and start his ministry, Satan shows up with three bargains. And basically the bargains go like this. Jesus, if you'll do this for me, as you step into ministry, I'll do this for you. As if Jesus really needed Satan's help in the first place, but nonetheless, Satan's trying to hedge his bets, if you will. And one of the bargains goes like this. It's found in Matthew. It says, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Somehow they get up and they see everything that's out there. And Satan says to Jesus, all this I'll give you. This is what I'll give you and this is what you have to do for me if you will bow down and worship me. I'll give you everything you see if you worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. It's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan says, I'll give you, I control the world, and I'll trade it for worship. Somehow, he knew that worship was the key not to just control of the kingdom, but also control of the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He knew that the Savior of the world might have an impact upon his realm. The Savior of the world was the one who used his blood to hurl down the forces of evil, as seen in Revelation. Satan realized if he could corrupt worship, then Jesus' mission was thwarted. But what happened? Jesus rebuffs Satan. He points to the need to worship and serve God alone. And if you can tie all that together, what do we hear? We hear of the importance of worship of God, that evil will try to steal worship from God. Evil strives to trade worship for control of the world's destiny. But friends, here's my conviction. When we as Christians, when we worship God, you know what happens? When we use our worship words, when we use the lyrics that we use, the scriptures that we read together like we did just a few minutes ago, that testimony, when combined or added, if you will, to the blood of Jesus Christ, is spiritual warfare. And if you want to defeat Satan's influence in the stories around you and the things that are taking place around you, then start worshiping God. Declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in the process, your worship reminds evil of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. See, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of brothers and sisters, would choose to make you think that you're never gonna be good enough for God. Frankly, you're not. But with the blood of Jesus Christ, your sin is completely covered, completely forgiven, and completely forgotten. You can think of it this way. Um, I want you to watch some video footage of a black ball project that took place in Los Angeles water reservoirs some 10 years ago now. You can see all these um, black balls being dumped into the water so that they covered the um, entire surface of the water of two of the reservoirs that supply water to the Los Angeles area. In the long run, they dumped 96 million of those black balls Over the water, so that when the water level was high or low, it was completely covered. Don't you wish that you had uh, the the the, that you owned the factory that was going to supply all those ninety-six million balls? Do you know how much they paid for them? Thirteen dollars a piece. I could have built them for twelve dollars. I'm sure I could have built them for twelve. Why did they do that? Well, they wanted to cover the complete surface of all of the water. Here's why. The water in those settings has a tendency to use sunlight in a bad way, and here it is, Southern California. There's, water, there's sunlight shining on that water at all times. The water there has two chemicals in it that uh, are fine in and of themselves: bromate and chlorine. And at the ratio that those chemicals are found in the water there, it's not a problem. You can drink it with no with no issue at all. However, when when bromine and when bromine, pardon me, and chloride let me say it right one more time. When bromide and chlorine mix together with sunlight, they create a cancer-inducing chemical called bromate. So you think you've got these two chemicals in the water, sunlight's going to interact, and suddenly the uh, city of Los Angeles has water that's putting cancer-inducing chemicals into the pipes that people are going to drink from. What would you want to do? You'd say, I don't want the sunlight. The easiest way, the cheapest way to get rid of the sunlight, take black plastic balls, float them on top of the water. The balls were used to completely cover the water so that sunlight could not interact with the bromate or the chlorine. Cover the water, and the cancer-inducing chemical is eliminated. Cover the water, we don't have to worry. Cover your sin with the blood of Jesus Christ, and you don't have to worry. Cover your sin with the blood of Jesus Christ and your hell-bound life is eliminated in lieu of a life-praising, God-honoring testimony. Cover your sin with God-honoring worship and remind all of hell. I belong to Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. I've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, friends, when we worship God, When we worship, here's what happens. We're saying, I'm not in charge. We die to ourselves and we proclaim our allegiance to him alone. And we're saying, he covers me completely. It's powerful stuff. Let me explain it this way. Perhaps you're familiar with the Vietnam Veterans War Memorial, a wall in Washington, D.C. It's a wall, long polished granite. sits down the ground and it's actually... At some points it's this low, at other points it's a little bit above your head, but it lists all 58,000 or so people who died in Vietnam in the war there, Southeast Asia, along with those who are still missing in action. 58,000 people, and it includes eight women's names. The names are all the names of the people who died, unless the family requested that they not have their name listed. Everyone's listed. It's a powerful image. As a matter of fact, it's polished granite so that when you look at it, you can see your own reflection. And the architect who designed it wanted you to be able to see your reflection in the names of the people who died, bringing the past and the future together. Hold that story right there, what that that image looks like. And hear this. People who worship God choose to die to themselves. The people who died in the Vietnam War you know, they they made, they they made the ultimate sacrifice, right? They died. People who worship God choose to die to themselves. They choose to honor God. And God has a plan for our names. If you died in the Vietnam War, your name ends up on that wall, right? Well, do you know God has a plan for your name as you die to who you are? Revelation, the book again of Revelation, indicates in both chapters two and three, it describes an event in the future that... Uh, Where all those who live under the covering of Jesus' blood, all those who worship God alone, they receive a new name. Now, there's a great scholarly debate as to how this is going to occur and what your name is going to be. As a matter of fact, after uh, the the middle of service today, somebody came and said, I'm going to, they're going to have their name, I made it, or surprised, that sort of thing. But whatever it is, you're going to get a new name as you arrive in heaven, apparently. I'm aware of the debate, but Revelation says people are are going to lay their crowns down before the throne and they're going to say this, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In other words, the whole of the multitude of people in heaven are going to bow before God and say, God, we are worshiping you. And somehow, some point in the midst of that worship, the people of God receive new names. Why? Well, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because the word of our testimony is going to point out that the the accuser of the people of God will have been completely and eternally defeated. And there's no more shame. There's no more stuff connected to your old name. A new name awaits you. A new name that is not connected to that's the moments of ugliness that have occurred so I have an idea for us today outside of the uh, auditoriums here in Decatur and also in Lumington, there's a place where um, we'd like you to consider taking a post-it note and writing your name on it and sticking it on a wall just like you find the names on the wall in Vietnam those people died and their names are there What would it be like if the people of God said, I'm dying to who I am because I'm completely covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live this week and for eternity with a new approach, with a new way of worshiping God, with a new way of saying that, man, that stuff is completely covered now, and I'm going to declare the praises of God for this weekend, for then out there, it'll be our memorial, memorial wall to those who died to themselves in choosing to worship God. So here in the west, as you go out, it'll be on your left. In the east, it'll be on your right. In Lovington, it'll be in the side room. And when you get to that wall today, you're going to find the names of other believers who choose to list their name as gone so that in their worship, they will declare the name of God Almighty. I look forward to seeing my name there And frankly, I look forward to seeing your name there as well. Saying, I will worship God and declare his goodness now and for all eternity. And in doing so, the forces of evil are defeated. And Jesus Christ is is ruling in in my life and in charge of who I am. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we uh, would declare today that you are God almighty. There is no one else but you. You are, you are in charge of the cosmos. You are in charge of our lives. And we are making a decision today, God, to again proclaim your goodness that you created this world. You created the cosmos. You created human beings. We're made in your image. You gave us Jesus Christ so that our sins could be forgiven, completely covered. And we anticipate a day, Lord, in the future when we will have a new name a name that's not connected to the baggage of the past, but instead a new name that declares that you've done a great work in us. While we wait for that reality, we will continue to be people of worship today. We'll worship you this week. We will declare your goodness. We will acknowledge moment by moment that you've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Help us to live there this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I'm inviting everybody in all three auditoriums. If you'll stand at this time, please. And all, In all three rooms, uh, the worship teams are going to lead us in worship. And as as they lead us today, um, I'm going to suggest this. First of all, if as we worship, we are doing what the Scripture calls us to do. We're being that holy priesthood, declaring the praises of God who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And uh, in the midst of that, in the midst of praise and worship, in the midst of declaring God's goodness, we're, we're beating back the forces of evil. And you'd say, you know, pastor, there are some places around me that I think that it's just ugly stuff. And it's, I, I need some help beating that back this week. If that's you, there'll be leaders in the front of all three rooms. We'd be glad to pray with you about those matters. Perhaps you're here today and uh, you'd say, well, it's not, good, it's not bad stuff, but in fact, it's really good stuff. And I'd like just to declare the praises of God with somebody. We'd like to pray with you and maybe... Most of all, you're here and you say, this business, wonderful light, dark, holy priesthood, all that stuff, I don't even know where to start because I don't know that I'm following Christ. If that's you, we'd also like to invite you to step forward as well. In all three rooms, leaders will be at the front of the rooms and as these uh, people step forward for prayer, I'd invite the congregation to be a, a congregation of worship declaring the praises of God together. Let's sing as people come today.